Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful, and kindle within them the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I I just want to say that um, as humorous as the metronome on the keyboard is and some of the, uh, you know, hiccups we're having this first Sunday of Lent because uh, we've changed everything, so it's always a little interesting. Um, Still, it's a holy season. And holy is a church word that really just means set apart. That, that Lent is a time in which we're set apart to encounter God, to, to come to know God. And you may think, and, and you know, Lent in itself is a church word. And it really uh, comes from a, a word that means to lengthen. Okay? And so it works as a metaphor in the northern hemisphere because we're in the season where the light is lengthening, right? And we're anticipating more light. And so that's a great metaphor in the northern hemisphere. I'm not sure how well it works in the southern hemisphere where the days are getting shorter, but it really works in the northern hemisphere. And over the centuries, as you know, the people who followed Jesus and became what was known as the Christian church uh, began to set aside 40 days. And that 40 days would start on Ash Wednesday and then would go to Easter Sunday, excluding Sundays. Because Sundays, every Sunday, is a little Easter. And so you never fast when the Lord, you know, it's the Lord's day. You never fast on the Lord's day, so you get to have a little break. And a lot of people don't know that. And some people choose not to break because it's just hard to get back once you break the fast, you know. So, um, and then if you're Catholic, the really good part about that is the Feast of St. Joseph often happens right in the middle of Lent, and that's a big old feast in Italy. I mean, everybody sits around eating donuts and everything they can get their hands on uh, because that's the Feast of St. Joseph. So there's a little break for them in Italy, the Catholics among us. Also, the, the whole story that we hear today about the 40-day thing, Jesus fasting or being uh, not taking food for 40 days, actually it's the Bible's way of saying it was a long time. It was a long time. And there's so many biblical references to 40 days. I mean, the floods of 40 days in the book of Genesis, the 40 days Moses spent without food. We don't often talk about that, but Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days without food. And then there was Elijah who was fleeing for his life and went without food as he journeyed to Mount Horeb. And then there's the 40 years wandering the wilderness as Moses brought the people out of their enslavement and into new life. So in the season of Lent, we tend to think about what we heard in Scripture today, which is Jesus being driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and fasting for 40 days. And so it became the practice of the church, of course, then we need to 
imitate Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to be like Jesus, right? And so we began to take up this practice of fasting. And in the early church, they, they literally, I'm, I don't know if they went completely without food, but in many for in preparation of becoming members of the church, spent 40 days in a period of study and learning and being set apart. And, and a pastor I used to pastor with liked to fast for 40 days. And it was miserable for everybody. Uh, you know, but uh, that was not the point. The point was not for us to be miserable. It was for us to prepare ourselves for the celebration of Easter, to be constantly looking forward to what is to come, which is the celebration of Easter. Well, we take that, that practice from this story that we heard today. And, and it's a powerful story. And there is so much in it that I won't even begin to unpack it today. There's just so much. So, um, so it may be that you still practice some form of Lenten fasting. I know that a popular thing right now is for people to fast from the social media. To, for 40 days, to fast from social media, to get off their Facebook and off Twitter and off Instagram and all of that. You know, um, it's more, however, than just a quaint practice of giving something up, this journey and the season of Lent. We need a sense of God's holiness, I think. And we probably all could use a little incongruity. Uh, you know, the, the incongruous way of being the church, which is in contrast to our culture, right? Something to bring us away from the culture that we are in, a consumer culture that puts me first and that, you know, at the punch of a button can purchase anything in the world, literally. So maybe we need a little of this. Maybe we need a little of this holiness and a little of this stepping away uh, from our culture that makes us odd in the world, makes us strangers to the way the rest of the world often operates. Now, one kind of way of interpreting Jesus' journey to the wilderness is to cast him as a kind of hero. You know, here goes Jesus being driven by the Spirit into the wilderness and fasts, doesn't eat anything for four, 40 days and 40 nights, and then gets encountered by temptation, evil. I like to call it evil, but the scripture says it's Satan or the devil, translates to that, but really, you take away the D and it's evil. And so Jesus is tempted. And so he screws up his face and clenches his fists and pushes back against the temptation. And lo and behold, he achieves it. I mean, that's like the best superhero I've ever heard of. Uh, and that's one way people talk about it. And then what happens then is then we try to be like that. We screw up our faces and we clench our fists and we push back against all the things that we think are making our life miserable and broken and, and all of that. And I just don't think that's what Matthew really meant. No. You know, um, I mean, what if Matthew instead was really trying to show us how Jesus navigates the relationship that he has with God 
in the midst of temptation? And what if uh, what we discover in that navigation is Jesus actually open-handed and open-hearted and humbly trusting in God? What if that's what Matthew was really about? I mean, Jesus chose. Well, maybe not chose because the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness and, and you know, uh, I don't know about you, but I worry about that. I mean, I'm like, why did the Holy Spirit drive Jesus into the wilderness? Are you kidding me? You don't think the Holy Spirit would do that to me, do you? Well, I mean, none of us want necessarily to land in our wilderness places, do we? And we all have them, right? No, Jesus enters this time in wilderness as an unfiltered reality. Retreats from society to be vulnerable and exposed. And there the devil, evil, preys on his weaknesses and And Jesus three times denies the devil's request to follow the devil's view of human accomplishment and worth. We know that. And how do you think he did that? How do you think he was able to, um, you know, deal with this evil that was tempting him? Well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus knew his Bible. He was a rabbi. And so Jesus knew in Exodus that the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. Jesus knew that. And Moses told the people God would provide all the bread they needed, and God did. So Jesus knows this story. And Jesus also knows Ecclesiastes, the wisdom teacher in Ecclesiastes, who said, send out your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will get it back. Now that's an image we don't really, I mean, we can't really, I don't know that we can fathom, but what we might say about that and what it means is that Jesus knew to cast his bread upon the water was to go about his life and work, recognizing that the goodness would return to him. The love would return to him. The peace would return to them. If that's what he's casting out into the universe, that's what's going what's to come back to him. You know, of course, that Jesus actually taught that later in the Gospels, saying, you reap what you sow. So Jesus knows this, and, and more than knowing scripture and quoting it, which we can all do. We can all stand up and quote scripture and sometimes quote it in order to put somebody else down. Or maybe we've had that experience of being put down. You know, um, but more than Jesus knowing scripture, Jesus knew God. Jesus knew what was behind the scriptures, which was the creator, the mystery of the universe. 
This is what Jesus knew. And, and you know what, he, what Jesus also knew is that when you cast your bread upon the waters, all kind of things come back to you, and sometimes those things are painful. Right? Sometimes love leaves a mark. You know, Flannery O'Connor, the great uh, short story writer and novel novelist, told a story about a little girl who loves to visit the convent and the sisters. But every time the nun gives her a hug, the crucifix is smashed into her face. <laughs> As it turns out, sometimes love leaves a mark. It's also important for us to know that Jesus is actually open-handed and open-hearted with the devil, quoting scripture, right? Because this isn't just a test about Jesus. Jesus is also testing the devil. And the thing about the devil is the devil has the skills and the knowledge. I mean, the devil actually quotes scripture back to Jesus. I mean, it's like Jesus can't get a leg up because the devil's quoting back to Jesus. So, but the difference is the devil's unwillingness, the unwillingness to belong to God, to seek to belong to God. Preparing for the rigorous temptations he would eventually follow and endure uh, means that he doesn't eat bread or crumbs for weeks. You know, throughout the Bible, fasting is what God's people do when they're desperate to become more aware of God's presence. And fasting is how we use our body as prayer. Jesus fasts because in a human body, Jesus needs to express his longing for God. And, and Jesus also knows there is a spiritual capacity that is only manifest when, in heart and body when they are joined with humility before God. Now, you know what I said earlier about Lent. There's some tough stuff in it. And, and it's serious. And, you know, Jesus reminds us that Christian spirituality doesn't stay in the mind. It becomes a part of our flesh. It becomes part of our heart and our soul and even sometimes our gut those of you that feel with your gut, because some do. Jesus uses his gnawing hunger to place himself in a posture of attentiveness. Through his deprivation he, and his deepest craving, he awakens to a ravenous hunger and is tempted by bread. But you see, the devil kind of gets it wrong. Because the devil thinks Jesus is ravenous for physical bread. And Jesus is ravenous for the bread of heaven, which is God, God's self. Now, do you know that deep hunger? Do you have that craving? A craving above all other cravings? Yes. Yes, of course, to eat the bread you have fasted from or eat 
you know, whatever you're taking a break from or do whatever you're taking a break from, but do you know that in that journey is a journey toward fulfilling your ravenous hunger for the thing that is greater than you, that loves you more than you can imagine? Well, Jesus knew about that bread of heaven. And Jesus would teach it, and Jesus would live it. So, you know, Jesus, the disciples come and say, how do we pray? And Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, right? And then later in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, some people, disciples come to Jesus and say, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. I mean, bread is the central element there. Bring them here to me, he says. He has everybody sit down. And then he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd, and everybody ate their fill. This is the image of God coming in the bread of life and the bread of heaven. And what's more, Jesus would become that very bread. In the Gospel of John, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. And he's talking about the bread of heaven, the cup of life, the relationship with the God of all creation. It may seem quaint for us to practice this fasting during Lent, but Jesus began his pilgrimage knowing that he could never be the true Messiah until he discovered what kind of Messiah he would not be before he could affirm God, he first rejected the lies of the wilderness. Is it any wonder that in our baptismal liturgy we ask people to say yes to God, but only after we have asked them to reject what is evil in the world? It is a mimicking of what Jesus did in the wilderness. We are on a journey to resurrection, and it will happen in April. On April 12th, to be exact, we will gather and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and remember it again as if it had never happened before. We will re-remember it. But I want to tell you, even if your journey in the wilderness leaves you with marks of love, it will be moderated with a special grace. And we can take strength in that we make this journey together. The whole Christian church in all the world is making this journey right now. And we follow the one who's already been there. I think I've told this story before, but it, I love it, and so I'm going to tell it again. When I was uh, really deep in discernment about entering the seminary and becoming a pastor, I was attending A&M United Methodist Church right on the campus of Texas A&M University. And uh, it was a special journey for me, and it was a special church for me. And um, the Lent before I left to go to seminary, I decided that I would give up bread. Now, I love bread. I mean, I, I don't just like bread. I love bread. And I would eat it with every meal. And I would go home sometimes when I was in high school and eat a whole sleeve of crackers in one afternoon. I mean, that's how I liked the carbs with the bread and the crackers and all that kind of stuff. But I decided for that Lent I would give up bread, and for 40 days I didn't eat bread or any bread-like product. And I didn't take Sundays off because 
I didn't know then that it was the little Easter. <laughs> so I did the whole 40 days. And then on Easter Sunday, I went for the sunrise service. And there in the courtyard of the church, the youth led the service and sang and played guitars. And, and then it was the end of the service. And, and you served communion. And for the first time in 40 days, a piece of bread crossed my lips. I knew in that moment how sweet it is when we take time apart to be holy before God and then we're invited in to receive that feast, the thing, the relationship with God that will never let you go. This is what resurrection is. This is what Easter is. And if you, if we'd had some children here today, I'd done the children's sermon. I'd talk to them about all this, and then I'd say, look at these little Easter eggs I have. They're candy. Now, let's see if you can go for a while without not eating them, without eating them, because it's so sweet when you finally get finished. Right? This is the promise of our God. This is the Sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness and we can turn that wilderness into an open-handed, open-hearted journey to God and come out to feast on the love that God gives to us. Amen?